You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. We are back on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're picking up. So um, as you're turning there, before you get too settled, will you stand in the reverence for the reading of God's word this morning? This is Matthew chapter 5. We are picking up in verse 31 today. Here's what it says. It was also said... Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is God's word. You can have a seat. Welcome to church, right? A couple just encouraging, easy to understand, easy to receive verses. There's a point in the New Testament that I resonate with where Jesus' disciples are standing around him and he's teaching some hard stuff. And you know what they say? Lord, this is a hard teaching. Who can bear it? See, this is part of why we love preaching verse by verse through the Bible. It forces us to wrestle with this book. Have you ever wrestled with the Bible? Like really wrestled with what it says? You know what wrestling does? It makes you stronger. Wrestling makes you stronger. Honestly, it would be easier to skip stuff like this. It'd be easier to just read past it, to move past it, but here's my heart for you this morning, and I honestly think Jesus's heart for you, that you would become a resilient disciple in this world, that you actually have a faith gifted and given and stoked by Jesus that can stand against the heavy pressure that's on you in our moment. You see, in some places, the Bible is obviously cool water for your soul. You ever been there? You open the Bible and it's like, man, God just sweetly reminds you of his goodness. And then in other places we open the Bible and it's very obviously a holy kind of sandpaper that grades against us, shaping us more and more into the image of Jesus. Guess which section this is? Believe it or not, it's actually both. We're, we're going to see that today. It's actually both, but here's what I need you to do, okay? I need you to listen past the alarm bells that are going off in your head right now. If you don't, you will miss the miracle of this passage. You will miss an important teaching from Jesus. Because here's the thing, friends. Divorce is a dirty bomb. It's like chemical warfare that has lingering effects far past the actual explosion. Prophet John Mayer says this, no one really ever wins in heartbreak warfare. Isn't that true? Nobody ever actually wins. In all likelihood, every person in this room has been affected by divorce in some way. 
For some of you, your parents split up, and so this conversation feels deeply personal to you. Others of you have friends who are going through a tough season in their marriage, and you don't know how to help. Um, Some of you have been through a divorce, and so as we start talking about this, the memories of what was likely one of the most painful seasons of your life are flooding your mind this morning. Others of you are tired in your marriages, if you can be honest. You're weary. You are finding yourself tempted to daydream about a different life with somebody else. Here's what Jesus is going to do this morning, friends. Jesus is going to give us some correction to be certain, but he's going to give us some direction. He's going to give us some help. He's going to give us some healing this morning. And to really flesh out what Jesus is teaching here, we're going to have to jump around the Bible a little bit. So if you are a Bible drill champion, hey, today is your day. Congrats. We're going to flip around a little bit. This is going to feel a little bit teachy at first, maybe more than preachy, which means some of you will love it and some of you will hate it. Can I invite you to come back next week for a little more normal sermon? One more housekeeping thing I think I need to say about the Sermon on the Mount as a whole and about this passage specifically. I have been benefiting from some very specific authors and theologians and commentaries as I'm thinking through some of this stuff. So I got to give a shout out, Preaching the Word commentary, New American commentary, my boy Martin Lloyd-Jones, Wayne Grudem, John Stott, to name a few of those voices. So if you want to hear more content about what I'm talking about, those are just a couple of places that uh, you can go. Here's here's where we're going. uh, Here's where we're going today. This is main point. Three guideposts, three guideposts on marriage and divorce from Jesus. That's what I think he's giving us here. But if we're going to understand Jesus's vision for divorce, we first got to understand his vision for marriage. So will you flip with me in the Bible over to Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19. Here in Matthew 19, Jesus is dealing, he's fleshing out with the exact same teaching that we came to in Matthew uh, chapter 5 today. Have you ever spent much time thinking about whose idea marriage was? Like, man, you read the early accounts of Genesis where God introduces marriage. Do you ever, do you think it was just like God walked out of the room and he came back and he was like, Adam, get off her. What, what is happening? right here. No, whose idea marriage was distinctly matters to our perspective on it. Because hear me, if marriage is merely cultural, if it's merely a cultural institution, it is as transient as anything else. But hear me, if marriage is a gift from God's heart, marriage is a treasure. This is point number one. Here it is. Marriage was God's idea. Marriage was God's Idea. Let's look in uh, verse 3, chapter 19. It says, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created from the beginning made them male and female? 
and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Here's what's going on here. The Pharisees are trying to get Jesus involved in a culture war. You ever been there? You walk into a conversation and immediately it goes straight to the hot button issue, straight to the polarizing thing. There were, at the time, there were two major schools of thought among teachers of the law in regards to divorce. You had what's, all the, what's called the Hillel school that was going on at the time. And they were telling men that they could divorce their wives if they burned dinner. Like you come home, you're having a bad day, dinner's burnt. You can say, all right, hey, thanks for, thanks for stopping by here. Uh, it, you're done. You're done. Or if they found someone they thought was more attractive, it was, it was as easy as changing your socks, essentially, is what these guys were teaching about divorce. And then you had another school who was sort of the opposite end of the spectrum called the Shimei school that was limited divorce to extreme sexual misconduct. That's the one that sounds a little more like Jesus is teaching. It's like everything shy of adultery. Yeah, that's all, that's all grounds for divorce. Socially, this debate was a big deal. This is a big deal. You're like, why in the world do I care about what the first century was teaching on divorce? Here's why it mattered. Especially at the time, losing a marriage for a woman in particular was to lose all sense of safety and security. Women in, in the first century, they didn't have the same social rights that they do now. They weren't educated the same way. They didn't have the same earning potential that they do now. So marriage was a type of social security for women. It's like, if I'm married, I'm good. Picture the moments. The Pharisees are asking Jesus, so what makes divorce Lawful. This is a important moment because wherever Jesus falls in this conversation, it's going to bring more controversy around his ministry. It's going to invite more controversy. It's going to give the Pharisees more ammunition to try and destroy him with. But instead of taking the bait, Jesus turns the conversation. That's what he does. He is about to say, in essence, the reason you guys can't understand divorce is because you don't actually understand God's design for marriage to begin with. So where does Jesus go first? He give, he, he's answering a question about divorce, but he gives us his vision of marriage. Look back at verse 4. It says, from the beginning made them male and female. Right here, Jesus is telling us that gender is not a tool of oppression when understood rightly. It is a gift from God. There is something intrinsically male and intrinsically female that is essential to human reality and that is good. You see, the prevailing vision of gender in our cultural moment rejects that idea, thinks that it's even oppressive but friends, in our confusion about who we are, we are missing out on something that the creator God calls a gift. 
So in turn, marriage can't tell the story it was designed to tell without a male and a female. There's a uniqueness to marriage in that way. Look back at the Bible. We also see the intimacy of marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is the complete sharing of your personhood with the other in marriage. Where one person stops and the other person begins becomes sort of tricky. You are a unit, you're a pair, you're a duo. There is no hiding from yourself. It used to just be your mind and thoughts, right? But now in marriage, there's this one fleshness. There's this complete honesty there. You know what it means? It means their problems become your problems. It means your victories are their victories. Their sorrows become your sorrows completely and irrevocably. That is the type of transcendent intimacy that Jesus is talking about with marriage here. Mind, body, and soul. Who does this? Who makes this possible? The next phrase in the passage tells us, what therefore God has joined together, let no one undo. Friends, Marriage is no mere contract. It is a living, breathing miracle every single time. Marriage is not just an expensive party that you get to have with your friends. It, it is that sometimes, right? But it's much more than that. Marriage is a priceless treasure. That means to affect marriage... To change our perspective on marriage, we are openly tinkering with the work that God has looked at and said, I did that. And that's my thing. You start tinkering with something divine. Why does this matter? Here's why it matters. Don't miss this. Whether you are married or not in this room, every marriage is God's invitation to you to his son. Every marriage, marriage is a billboard that's meant to point us to Christ. Think back about this passage. The male femaleness of marriage tells you that you need someone radically different than you with you to be who you truly are. You are in need of a savior. That's what this tells us, who is even more different from you and I, then men are different from women. The one fleshness of marriage tells you that your desire for transcendent intimacy in your life, the ache that you have to be known and to fully know another, it's not too strong, it's too weak. The Bible refers to followers of Jesus, friends, as being in Christ. That means united to him. Guess what that means for you, Christian? Your problems are Jesus's problems. Your fears and failures are Jesus's responsibility. But guess what else? His resurrection, it's yours. 
His right standing before the Father. It's yours. His perfect record. It's yours. Marriage is meant to be a living drama that tells you that story every single day. And the reality that God is in this, that God instituted marriage, gives you a glimpse of salvation. How can man undo what God has done? See, this is where the shadow marriage fails to be a perfect representation of the tree, which is salvation. In a world broken by sin, our love for our spouse can be broken by betrayal. But guess what? The perfect love of Christ, it is unbreakable. If you are his, he is yours completely forever. Don't hear what I'm not saying here, friends. Marriage is not salvation. It's not. You can be fully happy, fully functioning human without marriage. But marriage is meant to tell us the story of salvation. Jesus wasn't married, he didn't have sex, and he was the most human human to ever live. But friends, this is why divorce is such a big deal. Every time a marriage breaks apart, we are untelling the truth about the gospel. Divorce is leaving the world around us with the same bitter taste toward the love of God that we feel toward romantic comedies. Like it's all just too good to be true. Friends, if you are married, hear me, there is no single more prophetic witness of the gospel than a crazy in love marriage. None more. One filled with honor, with commitment, with passion, with joy, which, um, with a mutual uplifting. You thought your greatest contribution was going to be the work that you did. Like I thought, my, my greatest contribution would be up here preaching the gospel. But it turns out the most powerful witness of my life is the culture and content of my relationship with Aaron Vulcaning. Some of us have lost the sense of wonder around our marriages. We've forgotten. All we can see is our spouse's weaknesses in comparison to our strengths. Can I ask you today, if you can't see the glory in your own marriage, will you look at the marriage next to you? Not in jealousy or comparison, but in submission to Jesus in a way that where you're saying, will you do that here Will you put the gospel at the center of our marriage? Will you recapture my heart toward my spouse? And friends, if you're single in the room, as you start thinking about other people's marriages, it's going to be easy for you to think about that with jealousy and insecurity. What you don't have. But what if instead you were able to continue earnestly and honestly asking God to provide for the desires of your heart if marriage is a desire of your heart while being able to look at the marriages around you as the invitation that they are. See, the marriages of your friends are an invitation to communion with your father, to intimacy with Christ, to nearness with the spirit, to God. Every marriage is that. 
And so when Jesus starts teaching about divorce, that's where he goes first. He says, you can't understand divorce if you don't first understand marriage. But then look, we're going to see where he goes in the rest of the passage right here. This is point number two. Here it is. Divorce is a last resort, not a first response. It's a last resort. Look back at the Bible, verse seven. It says, they said to him, why then did Moses give one a certificate of divorce and to send or command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Friends, here are the Pharisees missing the heart of the law again. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, hey, divorce for any reason is not God's good design. This isn't the way that it was intended to be. Even if, there, even if there's room for it, it's never good. It always breaks. It's a departure. It's an expression of brokenness. When Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day, divorce wasn't just impossible. It was unthinkable. And it was unthinkable because the hearts of God's people were walking in perfect step with his good design. So the only reason the divorce even exists in this world, hear me, is because of sin by you, against you, and around you. It's because sin has fractured our world. And right here, Jesus is reiterating his teaching from the Sermon on the Mount that we just read this morning. Divorce is permitted when a marriage has been deeply broken. But hear me, it's never good. It's never good. It always breaks. It always robs and tears apart something that wasn't meant to be torn apart. Guess what this means? Divorce is a last resort, not a first response. There's something important that we got to see right here, friends. Jesus is talking to a very specific issue here. He is talking to the Pharisees who have been very loose with their encouragement for people to get divorced. If you're not thinking it yet, we need to think about this together as a church. What do you do when you have cases of abuse or of safety? I mean, is adultery really the only biblical allowance for divorce? You see Paul in the New Testament who is pastoring the churches that were started in response to Jesus's great commission has to dig into these questions because that's not the question Jesus is answering here. He's dealing with the very specific hearts of the Pharisees, but Paul is going to take Jesus's heart for marriage and apply, and apply it to diverse situations like abuse, like abandonment, a varying degree of things. So turn over with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're going. Starting in verse 10, I'll read this to you. 1 Corinthians 7. 
to the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that's an interesting phrase, we'll come back to that, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Okay, this is, a, this is a challenging passage for us to work through. I want to encourage you, take the Bible home and wrestle with the Bible. That's the first encouragement I want to give you here. But now let's think through some of it together. Paul is inviting us into reflection here. Look back at the, at the Bible. It says, the wife should not separate from her husband. She should be reconciled. But if she does... What, what is Paul saying here? Is he talking out of both halves of his mouth? Like, hey, you shouldn't get divorced, but if you do get divorced, he's saying don't get divorced, but if divorce happens unrighteously in this case, reconciliation should always be the goal or else remarriage is considered adultery. Why? Because God doesn't recognize the divorce. He's saying the union that was is not disbanded. But here's where I really want us to drill in. Look down at verse 15. If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Here's the thing, y'all. Paul is getting specific for people who aren't doing what the Pharisees are trying to do. They're not trying to walk away from their marriages because they didn't like their spouse or because they thought their spouse wasn't good looking enough. Paul is talking to people who are investing in their marriages and who are being separated from their spouse. Another way to read this phrase, those who are being abandoned by their spouse. Notice Paul isn't talking about the marriage between two Christians who are fighting for their relationship together. This is addressing a marriage between one confessing Christian and someone who isn't. So maybe you came to Christ after you were married and your spouse doesn't know Jesus. Don't get divorced. Absolutely, don't get divorced. But this is also for the person who married someone who says they are a Christian, but without repentance, without getting help, they keep breaking the marriage covenant. They're abandoning the vows that they made, who instead of in sickness and in health are causing injury and insults. You see, someone who is unrepentantly abusing or harming their spouse is a person who no longer has a credible profession of faith in Jesus. 
Like if you believed that that's the person you look at and say, man, if you believe the gospel, it is highly unlikely that you could continue living the way that you're living. And you are forcing separation from your spouse by your actions. You see, abandonment can be both passive or aggressive. Abandonment can look like shoving away from the table and saying, I'm done with this marriage for no legitimate reason. Or it can look like forcing the person who is trying away because the other person has become a legitimate danger to them. It's forced abandonment. It's where through heartbreak and tears and struggle, one person has to look at the other and say, you are so breaking the vows of our marriage that I can't stay close to see if you'll keep them without being brutalized. You're forcing me away. How can we think that this is what Paul means in light of what Jesus has just said? Look at the next phrase. In such cases... That's an important phrase right there. That is a phrase in the ancient world that is used to refer to more than one specific situation. It's a way of saying, hey, in equivalent situations where equivalent sort of circumstances exist, these same principles apply. What does this mean for us? Like I said, it's going to get a little teachy right here, but here's what this means. First and foremost, If you are abusing, mistreating, or breaking your marriage vows, hear me, you are under the wrath of God. You need to repent and turn to Jesus for righteousness. And divorce is never the hope, but hear me, it is permissible and unsinful in certain circumstances. Here's the official position. If you're wondering, like, how does New City deal with this stuff? Here's the official position as we wrestle through these conversations with wisdom. We see that each of these things can be cases of what Paul would call here abandonment. Adultery. Um, The New Testament uses the word porneo, which is kind of a a junk drawer, could be um, a, a pattern of addiction. It could be sexual betrayal of varying kinds, physical, mental, emotional, financial abuses. We see that those could all be cases of abandonment. Here are some examples that are not reasons for divorce. I'm not attracted to my spouse anymore. I found someone else I'd like to be with instead. We argue a lot. We don't have as much in common as we thought, as I thought that we did. Or my spouse is a sinner, but they're making a genuine effort to help and change. I just heard an amen when I said that my spouse is a sinner. I just heard a, yep, you hear him? (laughs) Hear me, I am not encouraging anyone to get divorced this morning. But if you're hearing this and you're going, we're on the brink, will you hear me? Will you let us help you? Will you let us help? This moment in your life is what a church family is made for. There's a good chance what you need is a friend to hold you up when you can't hold yourself up anymore. 
But if divorce is really where we are headed, friend, hear me, we will grieve with you. We will walk with you. We will fight for reconciliation. And then hear me, I will willingly stand before God and give an account for how we handled that situation in wisdom. We want to help. Friends, this is why we do church membership in New City. For this kind of moment. So we can hold each other up. Church membership is you saying to me and me saying to you, hey, I see your belief in Jesus and it's obvious in your life. Keep going, keep fighting. And it's why we do what's called church discipline, which is so wildly unpopular to think about. But here's why. Church discipline given to us by the New Testament is where we call one another to follow Jesus. It's not just big moments, it's small moments too. And it's where a person who's a member says, I know what Jesus said. It's when a person who's a member, they look at us and say, I know what Jesus says about this, but I don't care. Were we over a process and over grieving and tears and trying, we say, brother and sister, I hope with all of my heart that you know Jesus. I do but I can't stand next to you and affirm that you do because you're refusing to live like a Christian. This is hard. This is a hard teaching from our Lord. What do we do? What do you do if you've been divorced? If you're on the brink, if you're fighting through this stuff, here's point number three. There is hope for the divorced. There is hope for the divorced. Will you f flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me? And that's where we'll finish today. This week, as I was preparing and thinking about this, I read an essay by a woman named Margot Starbuck called Mourning the End of my marriage. This wrecked me. I want to read it to you, share in the fun. The days my emotional boat stays afloat, I'm grateful for all I've enjoyed. My physical needs have been met. I share life with three incredible kids, now 12, 13, and 15. I marvel at how remarkable each one is. I have steadfast friends who've walked with me for decades and ones who've joined the journey and supported me during this most recent bumpy season. The days I'm sinking though, the days when I'm pushing a grocery cart toward the checkout line and I'm suddenly gripped by a sadness that takes my breath away, I do more in the future I'll never see. I won't press shoulders against my husband as we sit together in a pew when our kids get married. If and when our grandkids visit, I won't turn to my husband and recall the way the baby's father also did that funny crawl with one knee and one foot, or how her mother also used surprisingly big words that no three-year-old should know. I won't celebrate my 50th wedding anniversary with someone who remembers me when I was 23. And for that matter, I won't whisper and giggle with someone beside me in bed about how crazy it is that we are those old people that our grandparents used to be. On my difficult days, I grieve that I won't share life with a partner who shared 
my life. Friends, this is a real cost of divorce. And if you've paid that cost, can I just tell you, I'm so sorry and I grieve with you. What do we do when despair sets in? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What if you were divorced before you knew Jesus? And maybe you're looking back and you're going, oh man, this, it wasn't the right decision. And even still, what if you or your ex are remarried at this point? Hear me. Who you were is not who you are. Did your current marriage maybe begin in a place it shouldn't have, if that's your situation? Yes. But did Jesus cover and make even that new? You better believe it. You should repent to the Lord, maybe even to your ex, if appropriate, and live faithfully where you're at. Live faithfully in your new marriage or your singleness. You have liberty here. What if you went through a divorce as a believer that was justified, though heartbreaking? Friend, you are free. You are free. It's not wrong for you to get married again, to find love and joy in that way. We need to ask together, how do we become the kind of community that can help people wade through these difficult and challenging times? How do we come alongside those who are being affected by divorce? I want you to hear me. If you are a single mom or dad in this room, we want to be a church that has godly men and women lined up to say, we're going to treat your kids the same way we would treat our own. If you're terrified that your kids will grow up without strong male or female influences because of divorce, let us know where you're at because this is what New City was planted for, to bear up with people in the hardest moments of their life. Where the ideal isn't present, we want the grace of Christ to abound in your circumstance. If you are processing your own divorce or if your parents split up and affecting you, you need to know the heart of Jesus. This is a safe place for you to process, to grieve. This is a safe place for the broken. We will point you to the good news of Jesus. We will listen. We will cry. We will open our lives. Because anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Friends, all of this, the reason we want to be this kind of church is because the people of God had an ever faithful husband. Where, where any and every earthly marriage that has ever existed before broke, Jesus was strong steady and faithful to his people, his bride. And be sure he is calling us to a seriousness about marriage, unlike anything else, but he is able to heal the most grievous hurts and hangups. Something like this can yield a lot of questions. 
We want to wrestle through this with you. Take that next steps card. Take the prayer card. Let's talk about this. We want to wrestle through it with you, New City. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we, um, we confess that a teaching like this is really hard to receive. We're asking that you would strengthen our hearts to see the beauty of marriage, the holiness of marriage. But Lord, for those who are wrestling through their own past or what they're terrified of as their own future, Jesus, will you remind them of the gospel that in Christ, no matter what's coming, their future is incredibly bright. Lord, we ask, we ask that you'll do this in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, New City.